The Holy Spirit has come to make Jesus real to us and real through us. He comes to communicate the signal importance of Jesus Christ above everything and everyone else. Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. As you listen in today, we pray that the Spirit would advance this work in your life. Now here's our Bible teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Genesis chapter 26 speaks of a well that was filled with rubble by Isaac's enemies, and Isaac returns to this region, and he must open the well up again in order to care for his flocks and his family. That well illustrates something real in the Christian life. Christ is our water of life, and yet, when we turn our eyes and our heart of faith away from him, the enemy is right there, ready to fill that well with rubble, in order to constrict the flow of his life-giving water coming from him to us. The first piece of rubble that the enemy puts into the well is an unbelief in a living, active God. God becomes something of an abstraction to us. The second piece of rubble we must take out is this, doubt in the authority of that God's word. What we're saying and what we've had said is that what's in this well is not some additional blessing in the Christian life, but it is the essential essence of the Christian life. It is Christ himself. It's not something that you might want. It's something that you need. In fact, you can't bear a witness before the world of the power of Jesus Christ changing your life and the power of Jesus Christ to change their life if you're not drinking deeply from this well. Your life will actually become a mockery of the truths that you espouse. If you're not drinking deeply from this well, you need it. It's necessary. If you understand that it's necessary, you'll be desperate. You'll be anxious until the water flows again whenever the enemy has filled it full of rubble. So what we began to talk about was, what is the rubble that the enemy puts in the well? And we mentioned last week that the first thing that Satan always begins to and the enemy always puts in the well to inhibit or to diminish our access to the full flow of the life of Christ bringing up to us is he puts into the well the rubble of a growing unbelief. In particular, we said it's an unbelief in the reality of a sovereign, all-powerful God who acts and who lives and who we stand before. God instead becomes an intellectual abstraction. God becomes just an idea, a thought that you might agree with and you might wholeheartedly affirm in your mind, but an abstraction nonetheless. He increasingly becomes just an idea, but not one that you live fully before, not one who has the right, and you live as if he is completely and utterly directing and guiding your life. And calling from your life his perfect will. And so as a result, God is in a sense held at a distance as something to contemplate and consider and think about. It's like the individual who likes to go out under the stars and periodically be inspired by the sense of the greatness of the universe around them. And for a moment they feel like nothing. And that feeling of nothingness actually fills them with a sense of wonder and awe. And they like that emotional feeling, but you know, then they go back inside the house. And they turn on the light and read a good book. Or watch the uh, America's Funniest Home Videos on TV. It was a moment of inspiration, but then they go back inside to go about their normal affairs. And then the next day comes and the sunlight is there and they live their light out in the sun and they just go about their daily duties. And maybe three or four times a year, 
It's good just to be inspired by the immensity of the universe. And there are a lot of individuals who know God is there, but God is like that walk underneath the stars that you might do every once in a while. But the reality is it's not where you live your life. It's not the contemplation you have. You put that aside and you, you live your life under the clouds in the light of whatever the day is that you think is a day and in the glow of your television set or your reading light. Well, no. This is God becoming an abstraction. Just an idea or a thought, but not someone who you live before and is present before you. If God is becoming an abstraction in your life, we said that part of the way this will show up, it'll show up in your prayers. Your prayers can become rote or mundane, or you can become hyper-emotional in your prayers, trying to trump up some experience. But your prayers ultimately will not express any searching out for God to do great things in your life. Not express a detailed application to the needs of your life as if God was there to administer and give these things to you. It won't express the hopes and longings of your life and your communion with Him. It'll lose a personal touch. It'll show up in your prayers. It'll also show up in your private life. You'll be more concerned about what people know or don't know about your life than what God does know. You'll be more guided by that and more concerned about that because you have pressed out of your mind the idea that there is a living God that you lived before who sees all and calls you to account. It'll show up in your expectations. You won't be disappointed when God doesn't act and do certain things because, well, you didn't expect God to act in your life. You won't ask God for big things and great things. You won't believe God to do His great works through your own life. You'll just, listen, there are no great doubters among the skeptics. There's nothing to doubt. They're skeptics. There's no great disappointment around the casual believer because he's never had anything but a casual belief. The person who experiences disappointment and at points and times discouragement is the person who walks on the hilltops of great faith in God. They expect God to move and work and they're shocked at times when God doesn't. But that's okay. You'll ride the waves, you might say, of seeing those things. Trusting and believing in God for great things and hoping in God for great things. And you'll suffer moments of great discouragement, but still. You'll say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What will ride out of it and what will come out of the storm is an individual's riding in deep, expectant faith in God. Are you expecting God in deep and great ways? If not, well, it may be because God is becoming an abstraction to you. Now, these are things that we spoke about. Now, we... Notice this in Genesis chapter 3. We notice the story of Satan coming to Eve in the garden. We mentioned how it was that Satan sought to undermine this notion that God was all-powerful and sovereign and in control of our lives. He'll challenge the notion that God acts on our behalf regularly. And so his word to Eve in the garden, when he came to cause her to doubt, his temptation was, Hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Basically saying, let's consider this again. Maybe there's less to this than what you think. Maybe God really is afraid that you'll become like Him. In other words, maybe God isn't as powerful and sovereign and mighty as you think. Maybe God is not in control of everything. In fact, He's threatened by your potential and losing control. And therefore, maybe He's not going to follow through with what He said to you. And He won't act because He really doesn't have well, what you think He has. God becomes shrouded under these maybes and the doubt, the doubt in God's 
prevailing power and sovereignty becomes the first rubble in the well that brings us into sin and takes us away from being able to enjoy all the fruit of the life God wants us to enjoy in the Christian life. That's the first wedge that he puts in there. A doubt in God as an all-powerful and absolutely controlling sovereign who acts and works in our lives. But once having caused us to doubt in God's character, the next thing that he does is Satan tries to cause us, the next bit of rubble that he throws in the well is to cause us to doubt in God's word. And that's where we're at today. To cause us to doubt in God's word. Remember he said, hath God said. Did God really say that? Is that what you thought he meant? Do you think that's what he's getting after? And so here's the next piece of rubble that goes in the well that begins to move us away from the springing of life in Christ. There's distance placed between us and this word, God's word. It's an unbelief in the absolute authority of God's word. That's the next attack that Satan lays upon us. It's attack upon this word and its teaching. Now listen, there are a number of ways in which the enemy fills the well with these challenges to the authority of God's word and the authority of this word coming and somehow winning its day and capturing our hearts and our lives. But ultimately, primarily, it boils down to this. When Satan begins to remove us from being captivated and being brought under the sway of the authority of this word from the mouth of God, what he begins to do is cause us to question God's power over this word. It boils down to a question over the fact of whether God is sovereign and in control over the expressions of His truth to us. You see, if God is not all-powerful, if God is not completely sovereign, then He does not have what it takes to make sure that He delivers to us a pure, inerrant, authoritative word that reveals exactly His thoughts and His commands and His purposes for our lives. Somehow these things are blinded from our eyes by the latest convention of the day. We're misinterpreting things. We don't, God is not able to speak to us clearly. In other words, if God isn't sovereign and all-powerful, then this book may just be, at least in part, the work of man and not of God. It may have notes of inspiration and truth within it, but God can't guarantee it against the meddling of human beings and in the meddling of the ages and the wearing down and corrupting of the ages. If God is not completely in control... If he's not all-powerful, then this work is going to be the accident of man's ideas and man's errors and man's own notions and man's own prejudices during the time and history in which it was written. Or it's been clouded or shrouded up by the histories that have passed and man piling on it their own ideas and thoughts and so to such an extent that now when you read it, you can't even get through to the truth. It's buried under so many different ideas and misinterpretations and you don't know the spiritual realities and so you just don't know. There's an expert out there that might be able to tell you. If God isn't sovereign, you can't be confident that God can present this word and preserve this word and protect this word throughout all human history until it comes into your hands and comes before your mind. He can't. If God isn't sovereign, then there may be errors in the way that it was written or the way that it was recorded, or the way that it was selected, the canon and rule, the books of these Bibles were, were put together and passed on to you. But if God is sovereign, God is in absolute control over all of human history, and He is all-powerful, then He can preserve and He can protect and He can present this Word to us 
through every channel of human history. He can orchestrate the lives of individuals to such an extent that when those individuals sat down to write these words, they wrote them with the DNA they had, with the cultural context in which they lived in, with the historical pressures that bore upon them. They can still write in such a way that what they wrote was exactly what God intended to say through them. If God is sovereign, then He can speak through donkeys. And he can speak through rocks and he can speak through stones that cry out to his praise and he can speak through the history and the individuals that he cultivated for the purpose of delivering to us this word. So when you first begin to doubt and have unbelief in God as the all-sovereign controlling God that you lived before, it will necessarily begin to erode the way you come before this word. You'll question this word as well. You won't take it under its full weight. But what does Scripture say? What does 1 Peter 1.21 say? For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What does 2 Timothy 3.16 say? All Scripture is God's breath. <laughs> it's His. All His. What did David say? He said, the law of the Lord is perfect. What did our Savior, the Lord Jesus, say of this sovereign God's ability to bring to us the prevailing of His Word? He said, the Scriptures cannot be broken. And if we believe that God has spoken to us in this Word, we must believe that it is imperative for us to read it, listen to it, obey it. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this message, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.